Good old-fashioned Temple Baptist welcome here this morning. Come on, let him know you're glad he's here. All right, you can be seated. I'm here today with one ambition, one goal, one objective, and that is to clarify in your heart and in your mind that everything is about the glory of God. Everything is connected to the glory of God. Everything exists for the glory of God. All that is happening in heaven is for the glory of God. All that is happening on the earth is for the glory of God. Eventually, even all that is under the earth will exist for the glory of God. Everything is connected to God's glory. Everything. Psalm 19 verse 1 would say that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky reveals His handiwork. When you and I look into the heavens and we see the sun, we see the moon, we see the stars, we see the clouds as they move about this beautiful blue sky that God has created. The Bible says it declares that our God is a great God. We look at the sun and we look at the moon and it causes us to declare who but God can do such great things as these. The heavens declare the glory of God. God's works are about the glory of God. Do you realize that our God is so mighty, our God is so powerful, our God is so majestic that our God praises His own works? Who else would God admire but Himself? Who else would God glorify but Himself? When He creates in Genesis, He begins to call land from the depths. He covers the landscape with trees and mountains and flowers and valleys. He places animals on the earth, birds in the heavens, fish in the sea. Eventually, he gets down in the dirt and forms man from the dust of the ground. An amazing thing about God's creation of man, when you study this, as God begins to form man, dirt becomes flesh. Imagine as God forms feet from the dirt and the feet become flesh. And then as he works his way up the legs and the legs are becoming flesh. And then his torso, his head, all of this taking fleshly form. And then God hovering over man and breathing into his nostrils the breath of life. Each day after God would create, he would look back over his creation and he would declare, This is good. I have done great. God saying of himself, I am mighty, I am wonderful, I am glorious, I am powerful. God is for God's glory. Jesus' birth was connected to the glory of God. Luke chapter 2, verse 14, Jesus is born. The angels in chorus declare from heaven, glory to God in the highest on earth, Peace, goodwill toward men. Why is Jesus lying in a stable? Why is Jesus, the Son of God, in straw, in a manger, surrounded by animals? 
what is Mary and Joseph doing gathered around this manger? Why are shepherds kneeling and the angels in chorus would say it is all to the glory of God? God's promises are about God's glory. If you want to know why God will keep his promises to you, it is not about you. God doesn't keep his promises because his promises are about me. God's promises are about himself. And God keeps his promises. He is faithful to his promises because to rebel against his promise would be to rebel against his own glory. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, For all the promises of God are in him. Yes and amen. For his glory. God will be faithful to his promises because God is faithful to his glory. One day, every knee is going to bow before Jesus and confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those who have warred against the name of Jesus. The philosopher Voltaire said that within years of his death, the Bible would be extinct and Christianity would disappear from the face of the earth. Nero fought Christians with Intense veracity, as a matter of fact, he would take Christians and he would attach them to wooden poles and he would light them like torches and the Christians would burn to illuminate his dinner parties. Nero declared that Christianity would be erased from the face of the earth. In our lifetime, we are seeing the war against Christianity increase. We're we're hearing the name of Jesus mocked on a more frequent basis, on a larger scale. And while our Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, speaks against an anti-Islamic video on YouTube, condemning the video and calling for all Americans to condemn the video. I don't know if you realize this or not, but recently... An art exhibit, and I say that in the loosest sense, was on display in New York City, paid for by the National Endowment of the Arts, which means our tax dollars in part fund this. The exhibit is called Piss Christ. And it's a crucifix of Jesus upside down in an aquarium of human urine. And in our nation, it's called art. And no one speaks out or disavows that. No call is made for that to be condemned in our nation. But one day, everyone who has ever fought against the cause of Christ Everyone who's ever shook their face in the fist of God. Everyone is going to bow on their knee before Jesus Christ and confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord. One day every angel in heaven, every cherubim, every seraphim, Michael, Gabriel, the archangels, 
All of heaven is going to fall on their faces before Jesus and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. But it doesn't stop there. One day, everything under the earth, every demon, every demon that is warred against every believer, they're going to have to bow on their knees before Jesus and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But it doesn't stop there. One day, Satan himself. Church, is anybody excited about that? Anybody in the room join me in hating the devil? How many of you wish that heaven would have a kick line so every Christian would get a chance to kick him while he's on his way to the throne? What's Satan being brought before the throne of Jesus for? Why does Satan have any business before the throne of Jesus? The Bible says that one day, he is going to have to bow on his knee before Jesus and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why is that going to happen? And the Bible would say to the glory of God the Father. Our salvation is about God's glory. Do you realize that God did not save you for you? God saved you for himself. God cannot expand his holiness because God has always eternally been omni-holy. God cannot expand his knowledge. God has eternally been omniscient. God cannot expand his presence. He has eternally been omnipresent. The only area of God that God can expand is the area of his glory. God saves us so that we might exist as an expansion of his glory. One of the most dangerous teachings to enter the church age has recently increased in volume and it's the idea that God is in to us. God exists for me. As a matter of fact, a little while back, for just a moment, we were, we were watching this famous television evangelist. And he, he stood on this stage. And this is what he said. God, I command you. Excuse me? It's the idea that God exists for us. There's this idea that you and I have this inner champion that God admires. And the television pastor stands on the screen and smiles while he encourages you to be the best you you can possibly be while this God in heaven gracefully dances over you in admiration of you. Not true. Not true. God is not living in admiration of us. We are to live in absolute admiration of Him. 
He is great. I am not. He is capable. I am incapable. He is glorious. I am not. All of the worship, all of the glory, all of the honor, all the praise, all the adoration, all of it belongs only to Him. And He saves us for Himself. The Bible would say in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 that we are His purchased possession having experienced redemption to the praise of His glory. Do you realize your testimony is to the praise of His glory? Do you realize how undeserving we were how unworthy we are. You and I, completely incapable of saving ourselves. You and I, incapable in our flesh of ever really reaching a level of pleasing God adequately. You and I, completely hopeless and helpless, yet the God of heaven looks on us and he takes interest in us and he desires to save us so that when we testify of our salvation it is not a testimony of us but it is a testimony to him we teach our our church family at blessed hope not to use this phrase when I got saved rather to speak that correctly when the Lord saved me it's for the purpose of his glory are you starting to understand that everything is connected to the glory of God and in a way that I've never comprehended it before as I've been over the past several months studying the glory of God, I've discovered that even sin is connected to the glory of God. That seems like an incredibly awkward statement, that sin is connected to God's glory. How can sin be connected to the glory of God? Hopefully, in the next few minutes, I can reshape the way you view sin. As a matter of fact, I want to confess to you that it is my objective to reprogram the way you think about sin. And before you leave this room, I want you to know that sin has everything to do with the glory of God. This is a completely different way of thinking. Typically, when we think about sin, we, we have this imaginary list. How many of you grew up in a sect of the church that typically talked about sin by talking about things? How many of you grew up in church like that? I did. As a matter of fact, they even had a name for those preachers when I was young, and I would hear them called things preachers. I'll never forget, uh, my dad several years ago had a very affluent, wealthy man come to him 
and he would say, if you would just ease up on your preaching and not preach against things so much and preach more about love, I could see myself coming to this church and, and blessing this church with a lot of money. So the next Sunday, my dad stood and he said, I've been requested not to preach on things as much and to preach more on love. And I've taken that to heart. And so today, I want to preach on love, not the things of the world. And if any man loves the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Needless to say, I... I don't remember that guy ever giving that big donation to our church. That's every pastor's favorite nation, a donation. Um, but typically we heard sin connected to things. And almost all of us, when we think about sin, we automatically think about things. There's this list that appears in our minds. We think about alcohol addiction, or drug addiction, or sexual immorality, and, and the list might, could even you know, be increased as we think about all the things that we would consider sin. You know, usually, we choose the things that aren't as appealing to us, Right? And what that allows is for us to become self-righteous. Self-righteousness exists in the church because we've given people the idea of a checklist. And so at the end of the day, we don't weigh ourselves by the things we haven't done for the glory of God. We weigh ourselves by the things we haven't done. And we're able to feel pretty good about ourselves because, after all, I didn't get drunk today. I didn't do drugs today. Hey, it might encourage you to know that so far today I have not done crack cocaine. I'm awesome, right? I haven't killed anybody yet. I, I'm great. I'm going to give in the offering. Check that off the list. We have this list. But guys, the reality is no sin list exists in the Bible. God never listed 1 through 50 of all of the things that you need to abstain from in order to abstain from sin. There is no list. And I've had people say to me, Pastor, why isn't God more specific about sin? I mean, why doesn't he just come right out and say this is a sin and this is not a sin? I've had people say to me, hey, the Bible never says that smoking a cigarette is a sin. And you're right. There is no verse that says smoking a cigarette is a sin. You know, I've always wondered, you know, Jesus could come at any moment. I've always wondered why people would want to go to heaven smelling like they had been to hell I can't I can't figure that one out but but no the Bible doesn't say that well the Bible 
The Bible doesn't say you know, this is a sin or, or that is a sin. Why is it the Bible more specific about sin? Why doesn't God just say it? And the truth is, God does say it. And for some reason, we've missed it. I've been preaching now for about 24 years. I've been pastoring for almost 22 years. I've read this verse over and over and over again. I've quoted it since I was a child. I've referenced it. I can't begin to tell you how many times. And it wasn't until studying this past year that the magnitude of this verse rocked my heart. Romans 3.23. Probably everybody in the room knows this verse. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Would everybody just quote that with me? Just say it out loud. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Church, let's say it one more time with just a little unk. How about that? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How have we sinned? It's in the verse. By coming short of the glory of God. So, Pastor Brian, what is a sin? Sin is anything you can't do to the glory of God. God desires maximum glory from our lives. God would say of you, sir, I desire maximum glory from your life. And sin is anything that limits the glory of God being revealed through us. So what is living a life for the glory of God? It's living a life that makes God look great. As the heavens makes God look great, so you and I are to make God look great. As Jesus made God look great, so you and I are to make God look great. As God's eternal plans and purposes make God look great, you and I are to make God look great. And sin is anything we do that doesn't make God look great. Our sin is about the glory of God. Why? does Satan tempt us with sin? I, I've had any one of 50 people on a Sunday morning walk in the church and say these words to me. Pastor, I want you to pray for me. Man, the devil has really been on my back this week. To which I would say, does anybody in this room, including myself, actually demand the devil personally himself? Hey, can I be honest with you? I don't need the devil to come into my life. I jack that up myself. The truth is, none of us demand the devil himself. The devil has lures and temptations. 
Why does he lure us into sin? Is it because the devil wants to destroy your life? I hear people say that. The devil wants to destroy your life and the devil wants to take you to hell. Do you really believe that? Hell's a place of outer darkness. The devil really isn't going to know who all is in hell because only God has the book of life. Is the devil interested in destroying your family? Is the devil interested in destroying your life? Hey, the devil doesn't even care about you. The devil doesn't care about me. But what the devil does care about is the glory of God. And the devil tempts us and leads us into sin so that God's glory would be diminished. You remember in heaven it was the glory of God that Satan was interested in. He wanted the glory of God. Adam and Eve shone with the glory of God. Satan lured them into sin all because he wanted to extinguish the glory of God in the earth. And then Jesus came and redeemed unworthy people, undeserving of being saved, so that God's righteousness and glory would have again be seen on the earth through the church. Satan attacks us because he utterly, completely despises the glory of God. My time's almost gone. But what I want to encourage you with is understanding that everything we do, we can do to the glory of God. And what we can't do to the glory of God, that is sin. You can't look at pornography to the glory of God. You can't have an adulterous affair to the glory of God. You also can't sit in a church building with your arms folded, unwilling to allow God to work in your life to the glory of God. And you also can't come into a church building and sing songs that were written for the glory of God with sin in your heart and life to the glory of God. And you also can't gossip about other people in the church to the glory of God. And you also can't judge and condemn people to the glory of God. Sin is anything you can't do to the glory of God. And Paul would write in Galatians that whatever we do, whether we eat or whether we drink, we should do all to the glory of God. And since I've been studying that, I've been trying to understand, how do you eat to the glory of God? And so I've been trying. So a little while back, you know, I took this awesome dessert that my wife made. I put a big bite in my mouth. I chewed it up and I spit it out. And at the moment I spit it out, I was convinced that was not to the glory of God. So I took another bite and I chewed it real good and I swallowed it. So I'm convinced that we eat to the glory of God when we swallow. I mean, you know, when you chew it and then you swallow it, Man, that's the moment that you're really thankful to God. How many of you can agree with that? <laughs> and so, let, let, me, let me just demonstrate. Pastor, is it all right if I demonstrate how this works? How many of you have ever been to the Cheesecake Factory? How many of you love the Cheesecake Factory? How many of you love any restaurant that has a menu that looks like a novel? <laughs> you know, the waitress brings out one menu at a time. It's so heavy and she, you know... Well, the Cheesecake Factory has this sandwich called a shrimp and bacon club. I happen to be a great admirer of that sandwich. As a matter of fact, I believe it is a beautiful thing. 
So I ordered the shrimp and bacon club. It comes out. It's two perfectly toasted, buttered to perfection, two slices of thick Texas-type toast. In between those two perfectly buttered, toasted slices of bread, there are several jumbo shrimp, which seems like an oxymoron. How can you be jumbo and be a shrimp? They're, they're, they're braised in a pan in, in garlic, hovering over these beautiful jumbo shrimp are multiple slices of thick applewood smoked bacon. On top of the bacon and the bed of shrimp, there's fresh green lettuce and a red ripe tomato. And then there's this amazing sauce that just baptizes it all. You cannot eat this sandwich and be dignified. Is anybody with me? Does anybody else in the room admire undignified food? It's a wonderful thing. And so you pick this sandwich up and you bite it and you start to eat it. How does that work out to the glory of God? This is how it works. It's God who created the sky. It's God who placed the sun in the sky. It's God who created this firmament created this process so that the sun's rays would draw water from the earth into the clouds that God created. And it was God's design that the clouds would release the water. It's God who called the dry land from the deep. And it's God who created this, this plant called wheat. And it was God who allowed the corns of wheat to fall into the dirt that he had made. And it was God who allowed the water to fall from the sky he owns. And it was God who allowed the sun to shine from the sky that he owns on the dirt where the wheat had fallen. It was God who allowed the wheat to spring up. Then it was God who gave someone the strength to harvest the wheat. Someone, the ingenuity and the mind to thresh the wheat and then to work the wheat and to knead the wheat and, and create this beautiful thing called bread. And then someone had the idea that if we take the fire that was discovered as a result of God giving someone the ability to discover fire and we place the bread on the fire, we believe good things might happen. Boy, were they right. And then someone had the idea, let's take yeast that God made and put in the wheat that God made and allow that to rise and then put that over the fire that God allowed to be discovered. And this beautiful thing called bread was created all by God's work. Somebody was in the ocean one day a human that God created, in a boat that God gave them the strength to make, in an ocean that God created, fishing for the animals that God created. They're dragging a net. They catch this awkward, funny-looking little creature with big eyes and a lot of little legs. And they look at it, and one happens to think, that looks delicious. <laughs> so they start eating the shrimp. And then one day, somebody says, if the bread is good over the fire... I wonder what the shrimp would be over the fire. And what about if we take a little bit of this garlic that God created and grew and we put that on the shrimp. I believe something good might happen. And were they right? 
And then one day, somebody looked at something as nasty and fat as a pig. They saw the butt of that thing that had been wallowing in the mud, and they said, I have got to have a taste of that. <laughs> and so they put that on the fire. And then one day somebody had the idea, what if we take this thing that comes from the land and we marry it with these jumbo shrimp that come from the ocean? And what if we put them on the bread? Hey guys, who created lettuce? Who created tomatoes? So when I eat a shrimp and bacon club, who does that derive from? God. And so as I take a bite, I say, God, I thank you for growing wheat. God, I thank you for allowing someone to harvest the wheat. God, I thank you for shrimp. And I thank you for bacon. And I thank you for some chef at some point in time having the idea of putting both of these on the bread, marrying them with the tomato that you grew and the lettuce that you grew. God, I eat this realizing that it all comes from you. Hey, I want to ask you a question. Who created the wife that you're married to? Who gets the glory? Who created the husband that you're married to? God, he gets the glory. Who gave you the children that you have? God. Who gave you the salvation that you have? Who allowed you to be here today? We sing to God. We worship God. We glorify God because everything is about the glory of God. And any time we diminish the glory of God, it's sin. I've got to close. My time is definitely gone. There are several scriptures that continually work in my heart. I only have time to share one of them. A scripture that has really gripped my heart over the past 12 months has been this. 1 Corinthians 6.20 You are bought with a price. I want everybody in this room right now, even if you need to close your eyes, I want you to imagine the cross. The bloody body of Jesus is hanging on the cross. Medical doctors tell us that crucifixion was so painful that typically when someone was crucified, the pain was so excruciating that they would vomit on themselves. Often their bladder and their bowels would release. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's naked. He's covered with his vomit and his feces and his urine. All of that is mingled with the blood that's flowing from his body. There's bite marks all over him because they've gnawed on him with their teeth like lions. A crown of thorns that are plaited downward and and a funnel-like form are pressed on his head and the blood has covered his face. The Bible says he's beaten to the point that he's unrecognizable as a human being. The cat of nine tails has torn all the flesh and the fatted tissue away from his body. Hey, what's he doing? Why is he dying like that? 
Why is he suffering like that? He's paying the price of our redemption. He's covering the darkness and the harm of sin. He's paying the price. For what? Our body and our spirit. Why? So that we can glorify God. Do you want to know why it offends God when you speak in a way that doesn't glorify Him? Because He looks at what His Son paid for on the cross. Do you know why God is so harsh against sin? Why would a loving God put people in hell? Because he looks at the cross and he sees the price that his son paid. And he desires that we would glorify him. God takes sin seriously because it diminishes his glory. And as you stand to your feet, this is the question I have for you. How in the world can you look at the price Jesus paid on the cross and not desire to live to the glory of God? Husband, I want you to reach over and take your wife by the hand. I'm not going to ask you are you loving your wife in a way that makes her happy? I'm going to ask you, husband, are you loving your wife in a way that glorifies God? That when people see you with your wife, God looks great. Wife, are you loving your husband in a way that makes God look great? Young person, when you're at the high school and it's unpopular to be a Christian, are you living in a way that makes God look great? Because if you aren't, you are living less than what Jesus paid for. Everything is connected to God's glory. And sin is anything if you need to come for any reason we have altar workers here say preacher I need to be saved